0: I'm going to delve into a very, very boring topic, and I'm going to try to make it interesting, educational, and titillating so you don't fall asleep at the wheel and die, because we got to talk about tax law. <sighs> I took tax law when I was in law school. I, took, I actually was very good at tax law. Uh, one of my very highest grades in law school were income tax and estate tax two separate classes uh I did great in property con law uh stiffs and gifts decedents, states and trusts uh what you do when people's money dies uh, income tax estate tax and then all the the uh section nine uh, uniform commercial code stuff man I love the transactional side of law I was good at that stuff uh, but I just I hated I hated torts and criminal law. oh my Gosh, worst grade I got in law school was criminal law. I hated it. And then had to be an indigent criminal defense lawyer. You did not want me as your lawyer. Oh, in any event, Congress, the Democrats, I should say, not Congress, the Democrats in Congress want a wealth tax. They want a tax on your wealth. Now, a lot of people have reached out to me and they've said, well, How does this fit under the 16th Amendment? Because the 16th Amendment allows an income tax, but it's a little more complicated than that because the 16th Amendment doesn't actually govern tax law in the United States. The first section, the first article of the Constitution does. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, the very first uh, clause in Article 1, Section 8. Clause 1 is Congress has the power to levy taxes and lay duties on excises, imports, and the like. But then there's Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution that bars a direct tax, a capitation or direct tax, unless the tax is levied in direct proportion to the number of people who live in each state. Now, you should know that the Supreme Court has ruled that an income tax is unconstitutional, and that's why the 16th Amendment had to come about. But there were times in the country there was an income tax. Now, we gotta we gotta go with the way, 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 way the heck back machine. We we gotta go way back to 200 B.C. Yes, 200 years before the birth of Christ. We got to go back to this this place called the Republic of Rome. The Republic of Rome, it was governed by a Senate. The Senate, though, knew that it could be slow to decide things. And when there were crises— The Senate would appoint dictators. And they would give those dictators plenary power to do everything necessary for the defense of Rome. And when the crisis ended, the powers of the dictator were surrendered back to the Senate. But the Senate knew, the Senate knew that when there's a crisis, when there's war, when Hannibal is marching on Rome, you've got to have one person. Who can take over? And you've got to have that one person able to call the shots. So, Rome had a history of dictators. And Rome had some very famous dictators. One of the most famous dictators of Rome was, oh, was it, was it, um, Sulla. See, they got rid of the dictatorship for a while in Rome. And then in 82 BC, Sulla came to power. Sulla knew that there had to be powers because the Roman Senate was having all sorts of issues and there was corruption and uh, the rule of law was breaking down. And so Sulla was a very popular general and he largely seized power and restructured the Roman Constitution. He expanded the size of the Senate. He added a bunch of supporters. He placed limits on powers of other groups. He limited the veto. He forbade ex-tribunes from holding the higher powers. And then in 81 BC, he walked away. His dictatorial powers were given again in in 49 BC to someone you might have heard of. His name was Julius Caesar. Caesar was ultimately, in in 44 BC, named dictator in perpetuity for reforming the Constitution and given the power to just... Handpick people. The American founders were fascinated by the Roman republic. That's why they call us a republic, not a democracy. Now, this gets me in trouble with certain nitpicky listeners of a certain breed and age, but – the Greeks had the word democracy. The Romans had the word republic. They were essentially the same thing. There were differences in their variations as to how they operated. In, in Greece, it was very much a direct democracy. In Rome, it was a representative democracy. And and the founders were more fixated with Rome and Western civilization out of Rome. And they went with a representative democracy instead of a direct democracy. And they went with a repu- – they called it a republic instead of a democracy. But they were really, for all intents and purposes, they were largely the same thing a republic and a democracy. But all the people who call it the we're, de- we're a republic, not a democracy. Yes, but you're, you're quibbling. Tomato, tomato. They actually are largely, they operated slightly different. The founders went with republic because they were high on, on the Latins and, and Rome. And one of the fixating things they had with the Roman republic was the dictator. Now, they didn't want a dictator here. In fact, George Washington could have been king and they they he didn't want it. So what they did is they made the the Article I, the legislative branch, the most powerful. It's not a coincidence that the legislature is Article I because they're supposed to be the most powerful. Article two is the president, he's supposed to be second most powerful. Article three, the courts, they were supposed to be the innocuous power. But the president, in times of war, as commander-in-chief, The founders embraced the idea of of the way the Roman dictator would work. If Congress declares war, the commander-in-chief becomes the most powerful man alive. There's this scene in the movie Lincoln where Lincoln is surrounded by his cabinet ministers and essentially says to them that he has summoned the greatest powers of Western civilization embodied within his office, able to be used by him in times of war, and he intended to use them. And he was right. And It comes from the idea of the dictator. And in times of war, the Supreme Court said things that otherwise wouldn't apply, applied. So in times of war, The Congress could impose an income tax. It's not true to say an income tax never existed in American history until the 16th Amendment. In a number of wars, including the Civil War and the Spanish-American War, Congress imposed an income tax. But the income tax only lasted as long as there was a declaration of war. And The moment the war was over, the power went away, as did the president's powers. The moment a declaration of war went away, the president's powers disappeared. That's the way it was designed. It was based on the dictator of Rome. The Congress, where the country was founded, wanted to be very careful about taxation. After all, our nation was founded because of a tax rebellion over tea. So they did not want direct taxes. Uh, Have you ever asked yourself, how come the federal government, in their zeal to tax everything, does it tax – why isn't there property tax for the federal government? States have property taxes. uh, Local communities have property taxes. Why hasn't the federal government started doing that? Because the Constitution prohibits a property tax. It's a direct tax. Now, what per se is a direct tax? A direct tax is a tax on a fixed object. So you cannot have a tax – on a slave prior to the Civil War because it would be a direct tax. It would be a tax on an an object, on a person. You can't have a poll tax because that's a tax on your right to vote, on you as an individual going to vote. And you could not have an income tax because it could not be levied in proportion to the people. In 1895, there's this case, Pollock versus Farmer's Loan and Trust Company. It was a a tax case. This was a bill filed by Charles Pollock of Massachusetts on behalf of himself and other shareholders against the Farmer's Loan and Trust Company, Corporation of New York, and its directors alleging the capital stock of the corporation consists of a million dollars divided into 40,000 shares on par value of $25. And the company was authorized to invest its assets in public stocks and bonds of the United States. And they were taxed. They were taxed on the money coming in. And the Supreme Court said, you can't tax that. You can't tax Income, a tax on the rents or income of real estate is a direct tax. It's prohibited by the Constitution. A tax on income derived from the interest of bonds issued by states. This is why ta- this is why governmental bonds tend to be tax-free. This case from 1895, you can't tax income from the interest of bonds issued by a municipal corporation. It's a tax on the power of the state and the instrumentalities to borrow money. It's repugnant to the Constitution. Those are the words from the case. And here's the other thing. You can't tax assets. You can't tax assets. This is where the Democrats are headed and why even Elizabeth Warren today is walking away from a tax on unrealized capital gains. Everybody forgot about the Pollock case from 1895. You can't tax assets. The federal government can't. States can. There's not a restriction on the states. This is a restriction on Congress. Congress cannot tax your property because it is an asset. Congress cannot tax your house because it is property. Congress cannot tax your portfolio. Now, Congress can tax the income, so if you sell it and you get money from it and you've made a profit, Congress can tax that because that's income under the definition of this 1895 case. So the idea that Congress is going to tax your unrealized gains, they're starting to realize this would be unconstitutional. Not only would it be unconstitutional, though, it would wreak havoc on the economy because it would force the billionaires to sell their stock. It would force the billionaires to do this. The other thing they want to do is they they want a minimum tax on corporations. That's probably not going to work either. Do you know why American corporations don't pay taxes? The left would have you believe it's because they're hiding their money. The the left would have you believe it's because uh, that they're, they're they're putting stuff offshore, they're keeping it offshore. Then and, and to some degree they do, but you know by and large why? It's because companies like Apple, they've converted everything to clean energy and they've deducted the costs of doing that. It's what Congress wants them to do. Other companies that they, they've made investments in worker education and so they deduct those costs. It's what Congress wants them to do. So if you force a minimum 15% tax on their profits, the companies are going to stop doing those things. The reason companies don't pay taxes in this country is not because they're hiding money. It's because Congress has given them a bunch of deductions and credits to do things that otherwise taxpayers would have to do, and the companies do it, and, and it's a good thing they do. The left forgets all of that. The left, of course, forgets the Constitution. In 1895, the United States Supreme Court said the federal government cannot tax your property and your assets. They cannot tax your income. It forced a constitutional amendment, and in the great debate of the constitutional amendment on the income tax, some argued that they should be able to tax property and assets and that should be included. And in the debate over the 16th Amendment, two-thirds of Congress said no, only income, not assets, not property, not real property. Thus, to this day, Congress cannot impose a property tax on you, which means they cannot tax your assets, which means they cannot tax the unrealized gains of your assets, even as they're trying to come up with a way to apply a real tax to that imaginary money called your unrealized gains. The Democrats want to tax everything. Thank God for the Constitution.